0: My name's Johnny and I'm an alcoholic. Think? I sit for 30 minutes telling Terry all about me, you know, and that's all he had to say.
1: <laughs>
0: As I look around the room, I know there are more black alcoholics in Columbus. I know there are. I just know it. <laughs> I talked to Terry last night on the phone and he His wife woke him up and he hello, and, you know, you try to put a picture with the boys, and I say, is he white or black, you know? I really didn't know until I saw him this afternoon, so he's not white. (laughs) But I remember I met this guy about a few months ago, Don C., he's going to speak tomorrow, and I talked to him over the phone, I said, he got to be Mexican, you know? And when I got to Cleveland the meeting, he wanted to take me to a damn spaghetti joint, Italian <laughs> joint, you know. He was an Italian. <laughs> so it shows I'm not too smart.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm going to lose my, my shirt because it's too tight. I remember a long time ago a guy said, John, uh, I've never seen a guy too dumb to make his program, but I've seen a lot of them too smart because they want to try to complicate the program, and the program is a simple program. Uh, back during the integration, you know, you all up north, you all integrated a lot quicker than we did down south. But we had this bus driver, and he was from up north, Detroit, somewhere up there. And he was driving this bus, and, and, and he was going south. And Jesse got to Mason Dick. Before he crossed the Mason Dick line, he stopped the bus. He said, look, we are not going to have no damn discrimination on this bus. Maybe the Greyhound, maybe the Trailway, maybe some other bus, but not this bus. Everybody on this bus gonna be one color. We're gonna be green. Now when we cross that down Mason Dixon line, I want all dark green in the back and all light green in the front. <laughs> it's good to laugh.
1: It's good
0: to laugh. I'm blessed to operate three halfway houses for alcoholics, halfway house, three-quarter house, and we have five apartments, and I tell all the guys, I tell the guys, I sponsor, I tell all the guys in the house, you know, enjoy your sobriety. If you're not enjoying your sobriety, something wrong. You need to get with your sponsor and see what's going on with you, you know. We went through enough pain and suffering when we were drinking, and I try to enjoy my life today, but there's the time to laugh, there's a time to cry. That is time to play, and that is time to be serious. And I didn't come all the way from Columbus to tell you a lot of jokes. I came here tonight to share my experience, my experience, my hope with you people. I have a lot of experience with alcohol. I've drank alcohol. I've drank rubbing alcohol. I've drank Listerine. I've drank shaving lotion. I've drank that MD-2020. Some of y'all probably haven't <laughs> drank it in that. You know? <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> and what experience I do have, if I live, nothing happens. Mr. July, I have 22 years of sobriety. And I hope and I pray that I may say something tonight, help somebody. Uh, I heard people get up there and say, my name is so-and-so, and it's going to help me. And if it doesn't help you, that's, that's your business. But I want to help other people. You know, I could help me in Louisville. that plenty of meeting in Louisville I could have gone to. But I'm here tonight hoping and praying that I may touch somebody's heart. And before I make any talk, I'll say a little prayer to my higher power, who is God, and ask them to speak through me and put the words in my mouth for what he wants me to say. And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'll make a talk, and I'll be driving home, and i say, why would I say that, you know? <laughs> and that's God speaking through, because he knows what you all need to hear. Uh, I have never been, I've got, drove through Columbus, going to Cleveland to see Don. Uh, uh, we had one of y'all, great basketball player that went to U of L, Samaki so Walker, and I had a chance to meet him one time at Win dixie that's all, you know. He didn't have time for me. He's a big, big basketball player, but he was a great basketball star. And <clears throat> but I'm appreciative. A Pat and Terry and who else had anything to do with me coming to Columbus and sharing my experience, my strength and my hope. I try to do what I'm asked to do in the area if I can. It's two things I do. I don't make meetings uh, every night like I used to. First couple of years, I made meeting morning and night. I don't make meetings every night, but if somebody called me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and need me to make a 12-step call, I try to go. And if somebody asked me to carry a message, I try to carry the message. Because twenty-one years ago a Commonwealth detective got me out of jail. <clears throat> I was facing ten years in penitentiary. I didn't know where my children were. I lost my wife. I lost my job. I lost my self esteem. I lost my self worth. Twenty-two years ago I was a non twenty-one years ago I was a non-entity. I was walking up down the streets of Little Obama a quarter to get a pint of wine. I was sleeping in Central Park, sleeping in the mission, sleeping in no abandoned cars, sleeping in old houses. Twenty two years ago. I tried to commit suicide. I was trying to tie a sheet around my throat. I just did not want to live. But God had on a plan for me, you know. I didn't know it, but God knew 21 years later I was going to be in Columbus, Ohio, sharing my experience with you, hope, with you wonderful people, you know. I didn't think so. But a Commonwealth detective got me out of jail and took me to the house that I run today, the Talbot House. And I never get tears running down my eyes. And I said, man, I hope one day I would be able to repay for what you've done for me. And he said, John, you can. And I thought he was going to say, give me a $1,000 month, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he said, stay sober and help another suffering an alcoholic. In other words, he said, John, save your own life. And in doing so, reach out and try to help another alcoholic save his life. And I haven't forgotten that. And people just don't know how many times I've gotten out of my bed at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, gone up and gotten an alcoholic and take them to the treatment and, and try to help them get their life back together and learn a new freedom and a new happiness. Now, I know I can't make nobody stay sober, but one day that I hope and pray that I can meet my God and I say, Lord, I tried. I tried to help the alcoholic. I tried to carry the message. I tried to do what I can do to try to help an alcoholic learn a new freedom and a new happiness. Because we have the disease that's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And patient, it waits on you. I know a guy that waited on him for 26 years, and his wife died, and he started back to drinking, and nine months later he died. So it's still out there. You know, you may have 40 years like Dr. Don over there, or 15 years, or 18 years. It's still out there. And if you get away from the program, Alcoholics Anonymous, and go back out there doing what you want to do, you're going to be back out there. And you may be like the other guy that I will tell you about. After nine months, you die. We have a disease that once you catch, you have four choices. And I know we have some treatment center scholars here, you know, the Bendo treatment center. You know the four choices. This all over the world. Everybody knows the four choices. Insane silent penitentiary or death. And we have a place in Louisville called Central State. And it's insane silent, all it is, what the big book, you know, talks about. And they have people out there, what they call, they call, psychologists call, organic brain syndrome. It's a big word, man, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody know about it. And all it is. (laughs) And all it is, well, alcohol has deteriorated brain cells, you know. And some of them be out there the rest of life. they walking around, looking up at the sky, talking to themselves, you and Nathan in the corner, you know. Their brain cells are dead because alcohol deteriorates your brain cells. Little by little, they deteriorate them. And number two, you go to penitentiary. I do a lot of speaking in penitentiary, a lot of correction work. I was in Lexington, Kentucky about three weeks ago, speaking at the fellow penitentiary. And every time I go to penitentiary, I ask the question, how many of you were under of alcohol or some other type of drug when you committed crime? And just about every one of them raised their hand. Maybe about three or four of them didn't. Maybe It looked like maybe 150 to 200 men, and all of them had been under influence of alcohol or some other type of drug when you committed crime. And number three, you'll die. You'll die. Now, if you won't be smart like I was, I got to die from something anyway, you know. <laughs> But we don't have to, see I wasn't no smart guy, you know, we got so many smart people in their age to be so dumb, you know, and I was one of them, you know, you know. but you're tired, you know, and we don't have to rush our life away like that, and I always tell about a 34-year-old lady, beautiful lady, bodacious lady, uh, man, you t- you think Harry Bailey was pretty, this lady was pretty than Harry Bailey, you know. And I begged her one night, Tanya, please go into treatment. You're going to kill yourself. And she said, John, I can't go in treatment. I just had a child. I just enrolled in Jeff Community College. My boyfriend and I, we are doing better than we ever have done in the whole life. I can't go in treatment right now. And about six months later, I got a phone call at 6 o'clock in the morning. I said, did you hear about Tanya, John? And I said, no, what happened? She jumped off the I-65 and died. So that was a 19, 20-year-old child somewhere that woke up Christmas morning and didn't have no mother. I'll do the alcohol. It's not anything to play with. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's reality. It's real. It will kill you. I had an aunt that her and her boyfriend got drunk one night, set the house on fire, burned her up, burned him up, and burned a little grandbaby up. Three people gone off the earth. Four people included times time that I was real close to. All due to alcohol. But we all need to thank God that there's a fourth choice, and that's recovery. And that's recovery. Rarely have we seen a person fail. The big book said that. Who had thoroughly followed our path. And the reason why a lot of us fail is because we only do half airway and half airway, and it just doesn't work. And everything I said tonight is my opinion, and I believe that God looked down on a stockbroker from up north, New York, wherever you're from, and a physician from Akron, Ohio, and started one of the greatest programs I've ever put on the face of earth, and that was a program I call Anonymous. I don't believe no way a program like Sanomis could have started without God working through Dr. Bob and Bill W. No president, no vice president, no nothing. I kind of look at us like the Israelites, you know, God told Moses get the Israelites out of bondage, and God told the Israelites, if y'all be my children, I'll be y'all God, and and, and I'm going to give you Ten Commandments, and if you work the Ten Commandments, and do what I tell you to do, I'm going to take you to a land filled with milk and honey. And I think he looked down on the alcoholic because we were going through a lot of pain and suffering, a lot of us were dying. And he knew better to try to give us the Ten Commandments because I couldn't have, and I don't think you could have either.
1: <laughs> so he didn't
0: give us no Ten Commandments because we couldn't abide by them. <laughs> I've done everything I was big enough to do and you were big enough to do before I changed, you know. But what did he give us? He gave us the 12 steps. They're growing steps. Anybody can work the 12 steps. You know, anybody can work the 12 steps. And now he didn't tell us that if y'all work the 12 steps and y'all stay sober, y'all do this, you do that, I'm going to take your land to fill with milk and honey. But he gave us some promises that on page 83 and 84. And one of them is you're learning your freedom. And you're learning new happiness. And I can honestly tell you tonight that I've learned a life that I would not trade for nobody's on the face of the earth. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I remember when I was, was drinking and Bill Cosby, he was one of the first black actors, you know, you see on TV. And I used to look at Bill Cosby. Why couldn't I be Bill Cosby? You know? God didn't make me to be Bill Cosby. He made me to be John Anderson. And you all, we love you for just who you are. That's who you are. And I was telling somebody tonight, you know, when I came in AA in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, uh, well, what, 1980? Not 80, but not 1970, because I yodoroed around a program for 10 years. There but only 10 blacks in the whole Louisville area. But, you know, I walked in a meeting like this where a lot of people was, and you people came up to me, and you hugged me, and you said, John, we love you, and we need you. You didn't say, John, you black, you got settled there. John, you got those dirty clothes on under the head, you got settled there. You said, John, we love you, and we need you. You don't have to be Bill Cosby. You don't have to be Dr. J. You don't have to be Michael Jordan. Just be John Anderson. You're an alcoholic, and you're just like us. Thank God. Thank God. I don't care if you've been sober two hours. We love you. We need you. We need you. I can learn just as much from the you as I can from the old person. You know (laughs) we need you. And that's what impressed me so much about alcoholics anonymous. The love that we have for one another. I don't think there's no other love like it. Don't say church now. Don't believe me. Call one old deacon at four o'clock in the morning. Hey Deacon, I feel like Drake, come talk to me. (laughs) My friend's a deacon, I don't want to talk to him.
1: (laughs) He also an alcoholic
0: But I've never seen no love in no church like we have in alcoholics anomalous. You know, religion is something that you believe in. Spirituality is something that you feel on the inside. It is a spiritual program. That's why we have so much love for one another. And without love, you don't have nothing. A great man once said, although I have the gifts of prophecy, and although I can understand all mysteries, and although I have so much faith, I can move mountains. And I may have four Mercedes Benz, I may have a $500,000 home, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. What other program y'all know have the love that we have? I used to have people get up here and say, my name's so-and-so and I'm a great recovering alcoholic. And I sat back and I said, they'll lie. No way they can be great for being an alcoholic.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, they'll lie. But now I said, I'm sure some of those new people, oh, he's a liar. He ain't nobody great for being an alcoholic. I'm not grateful for all the pain and suffering I put my family and my friends through. But if I hadn't been an alcoholic, I wouldn't have found a God probably that I know today that just took this out of me to drink away, gave me serenity, gave me peace of mind, gave me love. I went to found a way to live in AA. AA is not a, a program to keep you sober. Yeah, it's to keep you sober. AA is a program to teach you how to live sober. And I wanna find people like like Don over there and and Aaron and so many other people that love me for just who I was. Not for who I used to be, not for who I could be, but you love me for just who I was. And that's why I thank God I'm an alcoholic tonight. Didn't want to be one. I didn't ask to be an alcoholic. May have been born an alcoholic. I don't know. Maybe I drank myself an alcoholic. I don't know. And I don't care. I know tonight that I'm an alcoholic. And now if I get through talking, you'll know that I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Because I have a friend of mine say, if you walk like a duck and you quack like a duck and you wobble like a duck, you ain't no chicken, you're a duck. You know. <laughs> Took my first drink of alcohol, eight or nine year old, got drunk. Got drunk. Now back in those days, they didn't have no child abuse place. My mother beat the devil out of me, you know. <laughs> and I cried. I said, Mother, I promise, you, I never in my whole life drank any more alcohol, a minute. Did not know about alcohol alcoholism. I had all the casual risk i an in early age. My mother and father had me. She went one way. He went another. And I lived with my grandmother. And we had worked on a farm and had to do all the farm chores. And I'd see other school children get out of school. Maybe their mother and father would be together. And they would go play basketball. They would go fishing. They would do this and they would do that. And I hated them. And I said, why couldn't my mother and father stay together then? I could have been like Jim. I could have been like Joe. I could have been like Tom. And all my life I want to be someone else that I wasn't. 16 years old, I got drunk again off a of blackberry wine. I thought it was Kool-Aid. Tastes good. Tastes sweet. Thought it was Kool-Aid. Got headed in a sack. I'm drinking this wine, you know. <laughs> I almost died off that blackberry wine. Made the same promise to my grandmother. I made to my mother about eight or nine years ago. Grandmother, I never my whole life drank more alcohol. Admined it. Did not know about Z call alcoholism. Didn't have a lot of problems uh, with alcohol in early age through my childhood. We used to drink at Thunderbird and and get drunk. We drank maybe two or three, maybe five of them chipping on a pint of Thunderbird. You know it's not going to make you drink five of you drinking out of bottle. And I would drink, take two or three drinks, and I would stagger around, and everybody would laugh at me. You know, and and I loved it. You know, I enjoyed it. I got to attention. And then later on, you know, in my alcoholism, when I really got into my chronic alcoholism, and and they was when I was drinking that wine, they said, John, how much did you drank last night? So I always drank nine or ten pints of wine, hadn't hit had for two or three drinks. But later on when I really got into my chronic alcohol uh, ism, and I would go to work and my whole body would be shaking and people said, John Amsterdam you drank last night and I said, I drank two beers, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great, I was a
0: pretty good basketball player. I wasn't good at Samaki Walker, but I played basketball with Clem Haskins. Some of you may remember Clem Haskins. He's the head coach of Minnesota. Uh he just built a million dollar home in Calvary. He may have paid money back <laughs> from Minnesota. <laughs> But Clem and I played freshman sophomore ball together, and we were good friends. And one day Clem said, John, it's a beautiful woman that I'm really trying to hit on. Please go put a good word in for me. And I said, okay, you're not free, friend. I'll go put a good word in for me. And I went to put a good word in for Clem, but the more I talked, the better looking she did. She looked, you know, so I put a good word in for me. And she chose me over Clem Haskins. And I know there have been a many times she laid in that bed and I said, Lord, why did I make that big mistake why, Lord?
1: <laughs>
0: but, you know, we drunk. We promised the Lord I'm going to build you a big house on the hill, and and, 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 and we're going to live happy ever after. You know, we, we had a child by the time I was in, in my senior high school, and I graduated, and I believed that, that everything I promised her was going to happen. I'm a man, and whatever I say I'm going to do is going to happen. I didn't know about a Z called alcoholism. And I came from a little small town. I moved to Louisville, Kentucky to get a job, and, 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 and I ran into some associate, not friend. That's a be difference between friend and associate. And if you don't believe me, get locked up. See how many those associates come busy in jail, you know. And this guy said, John, I'll stop at little joint every day. I'll buy you a beer. And that A beer led to B beer and C beer and D beer and on and on and on. And I would go out to these nightclubs, and I would come in 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, women lifting on my collars and phone numbers in my pocket. And my ex-wife was getting mad, and I said, get on out that way. You don't tell me what to do. I'm the man that says, I'm, I'm taking care of you and the child, you know. But let me tell you something, what goes around comes around. they come back to you. And I'm not proud of some of the stuff I'm saying tonight, but it happened. It's part of my story. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. By the grace of God and, and you people, I've changed. The things I used to do, I don't do no more. But I would come in drunk and we'd have these knockdown, drag-out fights, you know. And, and those country women would fight you, man. I got a scar up here and one up here. What mean, what shit? With an iron, with a skillet, and anything she get her hands on. So she stopped stop fighting and started calling the police. Let them fight me, you know. <laughs> got a job at GE. Went to GE doing the same thing I was doing at Sid and Roebuck. It looked like we fall in with the people who are just like us. That's why... I hang around with people now who are just like me, the people that are sober. Now, I go around those people if they need me, but I don't hang around them. Uh, my alcoholism progress. It progressed. it's progressed for the point that I cross that invisible line into what we call chronic alcoholism. And if you continue to drink alcohol, it will get worse and worse and worse. And you will cross over that invisible line into what we call chronic alcoholism if you don't go to anything side and die. And once you cross over the invisible line into chronic alcoholism, you start going downhill. You don't stay halfway even stephen no more. You start going downhill little by little. And it seemed like I started having car wrecks and getting shot at and getting stabbed. I got a scar in my back where the doctor said, John, if it had been a few more inches, it would have gotten your lung, it would have killed you. But I kept drinking. Woke up one morning, my car was tore up, and I said, Lord, what did I hit last night? And I don't even remember what I hit. I used to wake up, my wife's eyes would be all black and blue, and I would say, what happened to you? And she called me through church, well, you know what happened to me. But see, you all can identify with me, because there are some of you that have been in a blackout. And you woke up the next morning, you didn't know what happened last night. There was a guy in Kentucky that, 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 that killed, that hit a drunk on the wrong side of the road, and some of you may have heard about it, killed 28 people, hit a school bus. Can you imagine him waking up the next morning in jail, and they said, man, do you know you killed 28 people? I know a guy that was in the penitentiary. He said, John, I'm doing 40 years. I said, what did you do? He said, they say I killed a man. John, I don't remember doing it. And that could have been you or that could have been me. And there was a lot of things that, that I did that I could have been in penitentiary before. Just by the grace of God. You're looking at a guy here tonight that's blessed. You're looking at a guy here tonight that God watched over. I've been shot at. I've been cut. I've been stabbed. I've been beat up. I am lucky to be alive. But I kept drinking alcohol. If you always do what you've always done, you're going to always get what you've always got. And I continued to drink alcohol, and I continued to go through a lot of pain and suffering. At 28 years old, I had to worry about a tail. My wife worked at Philip Morris. I worked at GE. I had a little part-time janitor service. We had a nice home. We had a nice cars. We had money in the bank. We had everything we needed and most of everything we wanted. Ten years later, I was standing on the corner above my dimes of quarters to try to get, get the shakes off of me to get a pint of wine. And people used to ask me, John, what happened to you? And I would say, man, I was just hard-headed. I wanted to do things my way, and it didn't work. But at 28 years old, I went into the AA. And I walked in a room like this, and I saw you people hugging each other and the love that you had for one another. And I wanted it so bad. Oh, God, I wanted it. But I couldn't leave my friends alone. the people to drink. I couldn't leave my, my, the five hats on one of my favorite taverns in Louisville. You know, I had to go there every day and let them see me sober, you know. And I kept getting drunk. But I did one thing right. I kept coming back. I kept coming back. And if any of y'all ever go back out, and I don't believe in slip, you just get drunk. You know, if any of y'all ever go back out and get drunk, please come back. Man, I walked through those doors many times with all that guilt and remorse, but I didn't have nowhere else to go. Those people didn't want to be with me. You're drinking, buddy, while you got some money. They love you, but but get, lose your job. And see, I'm going you, love me. And all of them get broke. Man, I'm sorry. I don't have no money, man. I got a pair of light and gas for you. But you used to drink off of me, you know. <laughs> you know. And I went downhill and things didn't get in better. Things got worse and worse and worse. I continued to go to treatment center and I continued to come to AA and go to treatment and come to AA and and beat my wife up, and you keep kicking a dog in the tail long up, pretty soon, he's going to turn around and bite you, or he's going to leave you, and he's not going to come back. And that wife that I married when she was 16 years old, I beat up one too many times, and she beat me up too, but we had this knocked down, dragged out fight. And I went out in the room, passed out, and I woke up, she was gone. She's gone, the kids gone, the furniture gone. They took everything while I'm passed out, you know. Checked in the treatment center, uh... A few days later find out my wife was suing for the divorce and I couldn't understand why.
1: <laughs>
0: why she suing me for the divorce, you know? All I did was bust upside the head, wouldn't pay no light and gas bill, wouldn't buy no food, wouldn't pay no house for it. And then we get to pull me, pull me, pull me, pull me another drink. That's what I did. Climbed out of window of the treatment center one night about twelve, one o'clock in the morning and and got drunk. And stayed all night somewhere. Maybe somebody come one day and said, John, you stay with me. I don't know. Maybe I stay with some of you all. I don't know. But I got back to treatment center next morning and I'm crying and I'm drunk, you know, have a good nobody loves me, nobody cares, you know. And they put me out of the treatment center. They told me I was a bad influence on their alcohol program. <laughs> So I had to call the doctor every day for him to give me an excuse to go back to work. In about three weeks, he said, I'm going to let you hang yourself. And I thought he was nuts. You know, he's a doctor. He's crazy. No way I'm going to hang myself. No way I'm going to drink it again. And about three weeks later, I got drunk at work, and they they fired me. GE terminated me after 10 years of service. My ex-wife divorced me after 18 years of marriage, all in. less about a month's time, a month's time. And I went downhill, and I've cold turkey. I laid in that bed, and I'll be hot one minute, and I'll be cold the next minute. And I would pray to God, I didn't know this, Lord, please help me get over this drunk. I promise you, you know, y'all ever promised God all these things. I promise you, I'll never take another drink. And you lay down for three or four days and go through all that pain and suffering. And then and that sick man kicked in and said, well, maybe I drink a cup of beer, you know. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story, don't you? you? don't have to tell you the rest of the story. That two led to four, and eight, 16, and on and on and on. Moving into a halfway house, same halfway house that I'm the director of the day and. God told me I need to get involved in AA. So I get out of what I put into anything, and I got involved in AA chair meeting in penitentiary and, and did what they told me to do. And after about, what, three months, I begged that woman to take me back. You know, I've been sober three months, big deal, you know, and I'm going to do okay now. I'm going to stay sober the rest of my life. And, you know, though al they get sick too, you know, they, they don't know about it. We went back together and didn't drink alcohol for three years, for three years. The only thing I did right was not drink alcohol though three years. Did everything else Big Book said not to do. <laughs> Had to go to my favorite tavern, drink my Big Red, let them see me drinking my Big Red, you know, coca Colas. And somebody said, John, you can't drink alcohol, but, man, you can smoke marijuana. Yeah, marijuana, I'll buy you. <laughs> smoke your joint. And I did. You know, I'm all right. I thought I was sober. And I stopped making meat, And that's the main thing. I stopped making meat. And I think most people you see that have stayed sober any length of time and go back out, most of them say, I stopped making meetings. There are no cure for alcoholism, not yet, and I don't think they'll ever find a cure, and that's just my opinion. You know, this is the cure. I believe God put this program on this earth for us. Rarely have seen a person who, they haven't seen a person that failed. um, Rarely have seen a person fail who have followed their path. If you follow the path of AA, you can stay sober. But believe me, even though you're not drinking, alcoholism continued to progress in your life. Because I was crazy as a bet. After three years of not drinking alcohol, I was crazy as a bet. I was in five treatment centers in one year. Got a job at the distillery as a maintenance painter. And I went into work one day, and they said, we're not going to let John get drunk today. And I'm working at a studio to show how crazy they are, you know. And I walked on the line with all the whiskey flowing down the line. And everybody looking at it. They checked. And I grabbed one of the big bottles. You don't have to check this one. I'm going to drink this one. No not worry about that, you know. And I got drunk. And the personnel down the sat down and he said, John, I've treated you like a father. I've been a father to you. He told me all the things I did that day. And, and I cried. And then he cried. Then he fired me, you know. And I called a friend of mine, called my sponsor, and he said, John, you've been in every treatment center in Louisville. They have a treatment center in LaGrange. Maybe they can help you. Now, I don't know about Ohio, but in Kentucky, none of those treatment centers can get you sober. They can dry you out, and they can give you the tools. But you've got to apply those tools in your everyday life. And it makes me mad when everybody, all oh, the healing places, the best place. all the tabletop is the best place. all this place, none of them can get you sober. Only God can get you sober. But I met a counselor. as counselor John. You've been yo-yoing around this program for years, John. You got the disease called alcoholism. You take away the alcohol, you still got the ism. Those are the things you got to work on every day. And John, you got to get rid of your resentment and your envy and your jealousy. And John, you got to love people. You got to love everybody. You got to love white people, black people, rich people, poor people. You don't have to like their ways, but you got to love them. And some of them you may have to love long distance, but you got to love them anyway. You know. And this counselor told me about the spiritual part of the program. And she said, if you'll get spiritual part of the program, you can love people like you never loved them before. She said, John, you can love your children like you never loved them before. And I didn't understand what she was talking about. Told me about the ABCs. And I thought she was talking about the ABC you learn when you go to school, you know. I, 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 I was so dumb. Told me to go back to a halfway house. But I went back home to this woman. I was going to make this marriage work. Any y'all ever getting no relationship where it's not working, but just going to hold on. You're going to make it work, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna make it work, it's gonna work. And we get sick. Because some things are meant to be and some things are not meant to be. If it's not meant to be, it's nothing you can do to make it happen. And my sponsor used to tell me, John, don't fight nothing and don't push nothing. Because it's meant to be to be if it's not, there's nothing to do. I went back home to a woman tell me, John, I don't love you, I don't want you, and I don't care if it stays so racial life, I still won't love you. Tell an alcoholic, you're gonna love me, you know, I'll make you love me. <laughs> And I can remember when I used to come in three or four o'clock in the morning when Melissa girl collar, she started coming in three or four o'clock in the morning. And when the shoes on the other foot, doesn't fit too well, does it? And you know I say, I'm gonna kill her. I didn't think about it when I did it, but when she did it, I'm gonna kill her. And I was crazy. And I went riding and after going through all that wonderful program and all the other program. Thank God for the treatment center. We need the treatment center. Don't don't get me wrong. Hadn't been for treatment centers, I'd be dead. We need them, but they don't get you sober. They give you two, they dry you out. I probably dead if I hadn't been for treatment center, you know. And I went riding one night, and after going through all that program, all the pain and suffering, I got drunk. And it was the worst drunk I'd ever been on, and I hope and pray to God, it's my last drunk, it was 21 years ago. When well, my last drunk went like this, I left the house, got a ride, told this guy to take me to the liquor store, and he took me to the liquor store, and 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 it was a telephone right across the street. And I looked at the telephone. And I looked at a pint of whiskey. And looked at the telephone. Looked at a pint of whiskey, and I drank. Took a drink. Stayed drunk all night. Went to work next morning. I worked in Philip Morris, at a maintenance painter, making great money. Had a good job. I walked off the job after two hours. I didn't tell nobody nothing. Got locked up. Got out next day. Went home. Found my wife had got a court order to put me out of the house. I didn't have no home. So I ran the street. I was out on the street. I'm lucky somebody didn't kill me because I would ask people for money and they wouldn't give me no money. And I'd talk about the mothers and the fathers and the sisters and brothers. And I'm lucky somebody didn't kill me. I had all that resentment all that hate for my ex-wife. And one day I called her and, and, and I'm, I don't remember a whole lot about this. I was drunk and, and, and I'm sure she told me not to come over. And I don't know where I got a butcher knife from. I really don't. I, I, still, I don't remember. But I went over to the house and I had a butcher knife in my back pocket and she came out on the porch, and she and I got in an argument, and I cut across the jaw with a butcher knife. Not proud of it. It didn't make me no macho man. I would run from that woman before I do it today. She did not deserve that. That woman used to feed me when I couldn't feed myself. But I cut across the jaw with a butcher knife. And I hear a lot of, a lot of people say, I wouldn't do that. And I said, Jad, don't say what you won't do because you're an alcoholic, and you take a drink of alcohol, alcohol takes over, and alcohol tells you you do this, and alcohol tells you you do that. And I ran, I had police, heard police, ain't coming, and it seemed like every police in Louisville were coming. And I just ran, ran, Here's from the police for two months. And those were the most miserable times of my life. Because every time I see a police car, I just get real scared. I knew they were coming after me. And every time I go to bed at night, I couldn't go to sleep. I just picture myself cutting one more with a butcher knife. But it's amazing, because if she walked this room right now, you had to get real close to her, see a little bit of scar. It's just amazing it's amazing but I pictured it to be a lot worse than what it really was and I stayed drunk around the clock two whole months I stayed drunk and I walked up down the streets a little bit bummed dimes and quarters got here three bottle of rubbing alcohol in the house and I drank those three bottle rubbing alcohol in about a week's time and chased it with great pop and Listerine and shave lotion anything I could find had any kind of alcohol content it, I drank it because I was shaking not to get drunk just calm it down I'm lucky to be alive I slept in the mission, I slept in parks, I slept in old houses, anywhere I could sleep, I slept. July the fourth, nineteen eighty, I I think I just believed God said, Okay, John, you had enough. You've been through enough pain. And I got locked up. They finally I had all at once I don't cut intent to kill and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And for the first time in my life I look back at my life and I thank God I got locked up because I wouldn't be here tonight sharing with you people. I was suffering malnutrition. I went to jail, I was in cell with three murderers, and they said that would be the good and the worst of us. And those guys, they had compassion with me, but get, they would help me to the restroom because I couldn't even walk all that. Right. And I went in D.T. and I saw snakes crawling around my throat, looked at the more I pull off, the more I come. And, and I heard music, and, and I would say, man, what they cut that radio off? And they said, man, ain't know way you're playing, you're crazy, shut up, you know. But I heard music, I don't care what they said, I heard music, you know? And after 30 days, I caught hepatitis. And my eyes got real yellow, and they thought it was contagious. But later on, I found out it wasn't. I uh, only oh, could catch it through my blood then, and thank God it's, it's over now. If I start back to drinking, it'll take off where it left off. But to put me in a little cell by myself, and I couldn't have no vistas, and I couldn't use the telephone, and I couldn't look at the TV, and all I could do was cry and pray and cry and pray. All of my life, I believed in God, then I didn't believe in God. Because I had this concept, I got to see it to believe in it. I got to see it. And I remember speaking, I don't know, about three or four years ago, and, and I told this guy about this, and he came up to me and said, John, can you see the wind? And I said, no, I can't see the wind. He said, but John, you can feel it, can't you?
1: And I said, yes.
0: And he said, if you go outside and see those leaves moving, you know the wind is doing that, don't you?
1: And I said, yes.
0: And he said, that's where God is. We don't see God. We feel him on the inside. The love that we have for one another—that's God working through us. The only one that saw God was Oral Roberts when he won that five million dollars. Y'all remember that? I God I don't see God, but I cried and I prayed and I said, God, if You are there, I don't care if I go to penitentiary. I don't care if I never have material thing. I just want to live, and I just want to live sober. And God doesn't come when we want Him. And we are impatient. So one afternoon, I started a really missing back in my life, and I said, if I get out of jail, I don't have a place to stay. I don't have a job. I don't have, I don't have my children. I, I don't have nothing. And I got a sheet, and I was trying to tie a sheet around my throat. I was crying. I was totally insane. I think God worked through some correction officers. I don't know what it came from. Thank God they came because they came in, took the seat away from me, begged me not commit suicide, gave me some books to read, gave me a Bible to read, and I read those books and I read those Bibles and I cried and I prayed. And I said, God, if, I don't care if I go to penitentiary. I don't care if I never have a mature thing. I just want to live, and I just want to live sober. Commonwealth detective came up one day and got me out of jail, and he said, John, I talked to the judge, and the judge said, the only way that he'll let you out of jail and I'll find you a place to stay. So I got a bed over here at the Talbot House. So September 29th, I stayed in jail almost three months. And September 29th, I walked out of county jail and I went to the Talbot House. And that's when I was crying. This guy said, just stay so happy and suffering alcoholic. Walked in the Talbot House, no clothes, no job, no family, no nothing. I didn't have nothing. The first pair of pants I wore in 1980 came from the Goodwill. They had to go get, get me some clothes. I didn't have any clothes. But I surrendered. And my sponsor came, picked me up at an A.A. meeting. I said, Don, I can't go to no A.A. meeting. I got these old dirty clothes on. He said, John, you're not going to win no damn beauty contest. You're going to try to stay sober. <laughs> and little by little, my life got a little bit better. All the time that I would go to treatment, all the time that I would get drunk, and when I got sober, I would concentrate on get my job back, get my wife back, and get my life back together. This time, I concentrate on staying sober, and everything else just kind of fell in place. Alcoholism is a mental, it's a physical, and it's a spiritual disease. And some people say it's emotion, and maybe it is. I don't know. But without all three, you're missing out on the most beautiful part of the program that is. Now, yeah, I told you, I was dry for three years. I wasn't sober. I was dry. And my sobriety back then compared to my sobriety today is no comparison. You're looking at the guys. They put out an AA meeting and wanted to fight. Sober three years. Not sober, dry three years. You know, that's a different. That's a different being dry and being sober. Sober is about change, about changing your whole lifestyle. I heard a guy say one time, that he was when he first came in AA, he now when he was out there drinking, he was a wet SOB. When he came in AA, he was a dry SOB until he changed. And AA is about change. One afternoon, this guy that I didn't know existed came into my life I was going to convene to get a pack of cigarettes I it, and it seemed like just a lot of things started running through my body and I said oh God and I started laughing I started crying I started praying all the same time and I looked around trying to see something and really I was afraid but just a calmness came on me and for the first time in my life I said to myself I can stay sober I don't have to drink alcohol I don't have to go through that pain and suffering that I've been through And that's been over 21 years ago. And I have not had desire to drink alcohol since. I used to worry about would I be somewhere where I can call somebody when I get that that, that desire to drink. I don't worry about that day. I go on and live. I don't go up and down the street telling everybody about God. God, touch me. God, touch me. I tell them I talk. And I don't think I have to. And I don't think God wants me to. We are based on attraction rather than promotion. Watch me. I tell people, watch me. See, a lot of people talk that talk. Jimmy Baker talked that talk. Watch the people to watch it, walk and walk. Watch it, walk. AA did not get me sober. All those treatment centers did not get me sober. God got me sober. AA teaching me how to live sober. And if you don't believe me, read those ABC, the Everline used to try, the counsel used to counsel, you try to instill in my life. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have leave the alcoholic. And C not Betty Ford Clinic <laughs> <laughs> that God could and would we if people was. So it's there, read it when you go back to your the room they read it, it's there and he gave me serenity and he gave me peace of mind and he gave me love he gave me the type of love that I can love another woman and not go to bed with him and I can love another man and not be funny that's the type <laughs> of love that God gave me <laughs> I stayed at halfway house for six months. They put me out. First time, put out of halfway house doing great. It's a John, time you grow up. I probably still would have been there 21 years later, you know. <laughs> but I was blessed. I moved right across the street from halfway house into the little old house. Didn't have no radio. Didn't have no TV. And every time it used to rain, I had to move my bed, you know. <laughs> but I was happy. And they called that John. Let's the house. <laughs> and I can remember I would come out of the house singing and acting crazy and this one guy used to come my house all the time and said, John, I just wish here. what you got. And I was a junior. I didn't get what I got but just going to Sunday school every Sunday morning. I've been through some pain. I've been through some suffering. I've hurt so bad. My heart pounds so bad. I feel like I'm going to pound on my body. I've cried so hard. I feel like my eyes going to fall out of socket. When you wake up on a Christmas day in a mission and you want to be with your kids so bad, you don't know what to do, but you can't be with because of alcoholism. I've been there. Well, a guy told me a long time ago, he said, John, that was a crucifixion before it was a resurrection. Friday comes before Sunday. We got to have the pain. Pain is necessary. We don't have to be miserable. We create our own misery by trying to make things happen that may not be meant to happen. Last 21 years has been the best year of my life. That woman that I cut with a butcher knife, for years we couldn't talk. She would call me and call me all kind of, you know what, and I'd cuss her back, you know, and we couldn't even talk hardly. So one day at work, she called and said, John, this is Nancy, and I was getting ready to cuss her back. I knew she was going to start cussing me. She said, John, all these many years I've hated you. You destroyed our family, and and you did this and you did that. But, John, I'm calling today to tell you I don't hate you no more. That John, I love you, and I'm proud of the work you're doing. And I cried like a baby I just cried. I couldn't even talk to him no more. I just cried. Today we're friends, you know. Today we're friends. We look more like brothers and sisters. She got somebody over at it on cocaine, you know, and she called me. And, what should I do? And I said well, you ain't gonna do it no way. You better leave him, you know. He he's not trying, but we are friends today. And I can remember when I cut that one with a butcher knife. I have a daughter that's 32 years old, and 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 she said, Daddy, get out of my life. I don't I don't want you to ever see it no more. you cut mother with a butcher knife. I hate you. And I'll never see you no more. And it really hurt. But a few years ago, I walked her down the aisle and tears were running down my eyes. And everybody thought I was crying because I was giving away. But I was crying because I can remember time she said, Dad, I hate you. I won't see you no more. So today she loves me. All my children love me. I got a great relationship with all of them. And it's all by the grace of God, the program I call numbers. And people like you. That halfway house that I moved in... 21 years ago with nothing, no clothes, no job, no family, no nothing. I took an $8,000 a year cut in pay to work with alcoholic. I didn't have the education that I needed. And I worked with probation parole as a counselor. And, 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 and I worked a part of what's alcohol and drug acts in the city of Little. But God, sometimes he'd take you around to be praised for other things. And they elect me on the board of directors of Talbot House. Three years later, they elect me the president of board of directors. And I was the first, the same house I stayed in. They elect me as executive director of the Talbot House. 1994, UPS gave us a $100,000 grant. We beat Habitat for Humanity by two votes. And y'all know what Habitat for Humanity is. all over the world. Jimmy Carter was the president. God wanted us to have that money to buy another. We bought another house. The mayor of Louisville called me at home one night. I went home, played my answer. Hey, John, this is Dave Armstrong. He's the mayor. Called me in my office of mine. I said, oh, Lord, what have I done now? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And a guy was... Working with him, with his chief detective, was on the board of director of Tablet house he died. He said, John, I want to do something on of gym, and I want to do it through you in the Tablet house. So he gave me his money. We bought three houses. So now we have three houses. And I run all three of them. And I get to see guys come in at the worst. And every guy that come in that house, they heard my story, some of my stories. When I admit them, I tell them, hey, man, 21 years ago, I was just like you. 21 years ago, I had nothing. Now look at me. My daughter said, Daddy, the doctor said, if that night had it been a, lo- a little bit lower, you would have cut mama's throat, you would have killed her. And it really hurt. And I have five children that love me dearly. And I don't think I could live with those no kids knowing that I'd killed the mother. So I thank God that knife night didn't go a little bit lower because I wouldn't have been, I, I wouldn't have been around to see my kids grow up and tell me they love me. I wouldn't have been around to be the director at halfway house. I would have been around to receive an award from the governor, receive a award from the mayor, and receive a award from the county judge. Yes, this guy that you sleep in Central Park, I got some awards on my wall from the governor, from the mayor, and the county judge. Three months ago, I was nominated for the Kentucky Civil Rights Hall of Fame. A drunk, a drunk, and I owe it all to God. The program I caused, and people like you. All I've done was the footwork. All I've done was come to Columbus and in, 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 in Cleveland and anywhere else anybody asked me to go. All I've done was gotten out of my bed at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, gone up and tried to help an alcoholic get their life back together, learning new freedom and learning new happiness. And I hope and pray if I'm 80 some years old and I can't walk, that my buddy Aaron and maybe Don, he'd be so old he can't walk either. Maybe he can wheel <laughs> me into a meeting. And I can carry the message and hope and pray that I said something to touch somebody's heart. As I close, you are you and I am I. I can't work your program for you, and you can't work my program for me. I can't live up to your expectation, and you can't live up to mine. Because of you are you and I am I. But if by chance we all can come together, black, white, rich, poor, male, female, old and young, and share with one another and care for one another and love one another, just think how easy life would be. And sometime, if you get to feeling low and feeling no one cares, no one loves you, Somebody woke you up this morning. God cares, and God loves you, and I love you. And I hope and pray that you can love me, and I continue loving you, and we all can grow together in this great program, Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is John Anderson. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you so much.